Welcome to KIOS at the Movies. I'm your host, Joshua LeBure, and I'm here with Diana Martinez and Patrick Kenny from Film Streams. Hello. Hi. And today we're talking about the film La Strada. La Strada is a 1954 Italian drama by one of the most influential directors in cinema history, Federico Fellini. When Gelsomina is purchased from her impoverished mother by an abusive street performer named Zampano to be his assistant, they travel the Italian countryside performing together and meet some beautiful and interesting people along the way while dealing with their own conflicts, jealousy, and compounding tragedies. The restoration really allows the beautiful cinematography and score to shine, The film itself is heartbreaking, beautiful, and sometimes hard to watch. If you have any interest in Fellini or the history of cinema, or if you've seen it, but it's been a while, this is a must-watch. With that, Diana, Patrick, what are your thoughts? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I actually, um, wow, I I didn't have strong feelings about this one. So obviously, it is an art house essential. It is canon. Uh, you know, both of these are in quotes. Um, it is like one of the films that, uh, you're supposed to see Mm -hmm. that is foundational for what we think of as art house cinema. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think for that reason, I am glad that I saw it just for the context. Um, but yeah, it did not, uh, didn't move me in a big way. Yeah. Oh, I think we're being film blasphemous right now. Are we? <laughs> I Let's feel like I'm being very film, do it. <laughs> film blasphemous right now. I mean, you say it's canon, it's essential. It is. Mm-hmm. And my question is, why? <laughs> like, it's not my favorite Fellini film. No. No. It's, it's definitely not. Not, not. by far. Um, I'll say with me, like, I rem- I went through my period in my early 20s where I was getting every single canon art house film that you had to see. Mm. I was watching Fellini. I was watching Godard. I was watching Tarkovsky. I was watching uh, Bergman. Everything. You know, just going and finding the Criterion Collection movies at the library. I was working at Blockbuster. Anytime, you know, I somebody would bring something up and we didn't have it, which was 90% of the time I would (laughs) go to the library and get it. I was going through that period. And I remember watching eight and a half and just being, my mind was blown. I was just like, Oh my God, what is this movie? I saw Amacord and I was just like, this is incredible. This is like one of the best things I've ever seen. And then I was like, okay, I need to get back and watch early Fellini. And I remember (laughs) watching La Strada and just being like, I don't get it. Right. So to quote or paraphrase like the textbook, you know, the film history textbook, this film is like Fellini's turning point where he goes from just sort of going with the Italian neorealism that he was steeped in, that he was brought up in to kind of starting to forge his own path, which we think of as like fully formed in like uh, eight and a half. He arrives with this like Mm -hmm. dreamy, allegorical uh, masterpiece uh, of yeah, fabulistic symbolic, yeah. yeah, not really necessarily a linear narrative, or at least very willing Episodic to go on, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this is the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. From before this, like maybe the one that people would have seen is like Evie Taloni, which is not, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's very, um, straight. Well, I wouldn't call it straightforward, Rome Open City, mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I and I will say with that though, watching it now, I kind of understood that more, and I had more of an affinity affinity for it this time than I did back then, because mm-hmm. I kind of see the what's becoming of Fellini. But as far as the story goes, I felt it a little more this time. I did appreciate like the the kind of growth of the the main character I guess in some ways of being this like just horrible brute to being like a broken brute <laughs> mm. um it was I did appreciate that a little bit more but this is definitely not like my favorite Fellini movie at all when I was watching this film I just thought of um my mom because she uh she's very good at watching art house films kind of anything that i tell her to watch i know that this is a film um that she would just say in spanish give me seria which just <laughs> means like oh how miserable <laughs> just misery after misery it's true and yeah. and that's i guess we should get into the story a little bit of yeah. what this film is for I, people that haven't well, seen it well i was going to get into why i object to these kind of films yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's similar to what we talked about a few weeks ago with uh, Once Upon a River. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like what we were talking about a few weeks ago with Once Upon a River, these stories that just constantly beat people down and beat people down. Constantly imperil a main character. Yeah, it's hard to stay on board. we like a lot. But with this one, it's even worse because the main character, she has no agency really in the whole film. But I also think it's worse in some way because I feel like that like the film is beautiful to look at. Of course. And it's, it's suffuse with some kind of already some kind of like nostalgia and like romanticism to it that I think really like airs on the side of almost like fetishizing the poor mm-hmm. for their resilience. Mm-hmm. Which is like such a dangerous narrative. Yeah. And I think that is like very Italian neorealism. But I think that what's different in this film is is the way that it's sold. Like Italian neorealist films like Rome Open City, like they're sold on their brutality um, and and the grimness of it, right? Like it's, it's a genre that comes out of a war and that's trying to grapple with the ideas of the war. But here, I mean, and... This is this is not, um, you know, any decisions that we get to make. But if you look at the marketing and the promo materials for La Strada, right? It's our protagonist, like, whimsically smiling and yeah. swinging on something, right? Like, it's like, oh, it's 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 a happy, right? Like, oh, she's so um, she's so happy in the face of adversity. Yeah. Like the way that the film is sold sold is really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um. Because it's it's it is just misery after mi- misery, and it also I think cements and like, um, uh, like it's it's about this idea that like you need to be miserable in order to be good, and in order to like, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm saying, but it's just to me, I just like I see it, I see it in the way that like people talk about politics now as to like why people are against universal basic income or why people are against like getting rid of student loan debt because like you have to be miserable in order to like feel like you've earned something, 
Um, and I think these kind of narratives are about that. It's about mm. like, oh, look how much better than us the poor are. Julieta Messina, who was Federico Fellini's muse and wife, uh, stars as Gelsomina, who is a poor girl at the beginning of the film. She is... Strange. That's she, what her mom says. Yes, yeah, yeah. She is a very... It's an odd character to pin down exactly what's going on uh, with her. She's very childlike. She's very um, naive, uh, maybe, like, pathologically so... She's the innocent, right? She's yeah. like a blank slate, basically. Right. She's seemingly never experienced the world. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So at the beginning, uh, her mother sells her to Zampano, played by Anthony Quinn, yeah. uh, who is a traveling performer of the like circus variety, though he's a solo act at the beginning. Well, apparently he had also a similar arrangement for Gelsomina's older sister, mm -hmm. Rosa, who's passed away. So then he comes back to be like, do you have another daughter, I yep. guess? Because mm -hmm. um, he's like, Rosa is dead. Yeah. And then the mom is crying, like we never got to see her get buried. And and it's it's it starts on a very oh, bitter yeah. note. And it starts there with like this tragedy of uh, Gelsomina's sister is dead. The mom is broke. Yeah. Can't feed her children. And so she needs to sell this other daughter to this guy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Gelsomina goes away with Zampano, and uh, it just gets it just gets bad from there, y'all. <laughs> like it's brutal. He's cruel. He is. Uh, he's abusive. He's he, a philanderer. Yeah, and he is trying to teach her how to be, basically, take over Rosa's role, which is sort of like a as some kind of like seductress kind of assistant. Assistant. But uh, Gelsomina is so, she becomes, basically, they decide that she's she's a clown. And that's what works for her. Mm -hmm. She's comedic. She does, uh, I think I saw Roger Ebert uh, describe Gelsomina as like a cross between Chaplin's mm -hmm. Tramp and Lucille Ball's Lucy, which I think is, that's I, don't, so true. I can't come up with anything better than yeah. that. That is who that is. But yeah, and uh, as they, tra in their travels together, they meet the fool Mm -hmm. who is like a kinder uh, circus act. They actually join the circus for a bit, um, but it all results in ultimately multiple tragedies that compound. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It is a lot of... This is the thing about the film for me is I didn't, rec I didn't see any of the romanticization of the poor as much. I more so saw like horrible abuse and like incredible amounts of sexism <laughs> mm -hmm. that were just like really hard to watch. Yeah. Um, and I found it hard to find um, it funny at all. So I don't understand that marketing <laughs> that you were talking yeah. about. That I mean, that's yeah. the marketing. If you of look, at, look at our at home page, right? It's yeah. Samina being very happy. Yeah. And she has, and she, you could see that if left to her own devices and allowed to be an expressive version of herself that, and if she would have had some more opportunities that maybe she could have actually been like a really famous, interesting performer. She could does she? love clowning. She, she really love it. loves it. And, yeah. she, and she has such an expressive face. Yeah. Oh boy. And when yeah. she does have those moments of joy, I do, I did really feel for her. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, but it's so few and far between, between like horrible tragedy and abuse. But see, like to me, it is a character that like doesn't exist outside this store. Like, totally. Could she have actually been successful? She didn't know anything about the world. <laughs> True. Like, she doesn't realize that like the guy she's supposed to be with is like gonna go sleep with this other woman. Like, yeah. and she's just like, oh, you guys are just hanging out. You're best friends. And, and like to me, it's like that that naivete seems um, like that that can't exist outside in the actual right. world. Like she has to live a sheltered life it's in order for to, that innocence to stay intact. And like for me, that's just like so sad. Yeah, it's so incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. I mean, because it does seem like before that she really never left the beach. The beach, which is like. Fellini's beach. He it's, loves a beach. Well, it's like very like specific to a time where you could be really poor and live on the beach. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not, you know? Yeah, the beach was also the dump. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is another very Fellini thing. <laughs> Whereas, like nowadays, that's some yeah. prime real estate. <laughs> Nobody's living right. in shacks over there. Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess I just wonder. You know. Who, who is this, like, canonical or, like, important for mm. nowadays? You know, like, is this a, is this a touchstone for, um, you know, like, a lot of, like, black filmmakers mm-hmm. or women directors? Like, I don't know. I just kind of see in this film, like, the treatment of these characters are treatments that I really do see when you're depicting other marginalized communities, like people of color or, like, women or, like, people with disabilities Right, this like um, whimsy in the face of adversity that just like kind of feels icky, yeah. <laughs> and I just like wonder, you know, is is this still like a characterization, um, or or like is this characterization just like dangerous in some way? Mm. I mean, I feel like restorations like these, uh, you know, we should point out that right. we're showing this because it's a new a, a new restoration. restoration. Um, these events, like restoration events, are like when in, you know, film studies or scholars or whatever, scholarship, these things get reinvestigated, you know? Like, it's, it's interesting. Like, the restoration, the event of a restoration can cause things to be reevaluated in a positive way or even discovered. Like, people can champion something through a restoration and then suddenly it is esteemed. Or, I mean, this is also, I guess, the process where things move down the list of relevance or the list of relevance. Or stay as relevant, but, like, also also understand that, like, the way that things are sold really matter, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I also don't worry if, like, I'm just um, more mad at the film because of its marketing rather than its mm. actual content. I've yeah. been right? there that, before. That the marketing yeah. gives it... Um, like a whimsy and happiness and joy that like, you know, is, is sometimes there, but it is a dark film. Oh yeah. Um, and like, maybe that's not, you know, what Fellini would have wanted, how he would have wanted this film to be taken. Right. Like she's not like a, I don't know. To me, she's not like a cute character to like dress up. Like she's not like proto manic pixie dream girl. Like she's like a, well, if that is the, imp- I mean, <laughs> let's, a, let's ask the question. If that is the impression you take away, like mm-hmm. if the image that has pre- prevailed of the film, which is, I think, clear, is mm-hmm. that of 
Gelsomina, the whimsical clown. Mm-hmm. What does that say about the audiences? <laughs> you know? Right. And that and that's why I'm saying that like it's dangerous because like yeah. the director doesn't have any control over that. But I think it's easy to extract that characterization because she's so good. She's so naive. She's so innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, like the way that movies today like try to make, you know, immigrants seem really good or like women seem really good or like impoverished people seem like that they're like gracious beyond how they should be and i think that that's like that's a weird one dimensional yeah yeah it's it's a weird way to um create empathy Hmm. that like relies on like flattening out someone rather than like Hmm. deepening their character the fact that the abuser becomes kind of the emotional touchstone of the ending. Yeah. And then we totally just like wipe away this woman who we barely got to know while we were supposed to be following the emotional journey of the abuser. It's. Yeah. I mean, I think. Frankly, and when, So when I say like the sexism in the film, I'm not even talking about the characters. I'm talking about. Yeah. A societal, like, systemic mm-hmm. sexism. To like your point, that, I do yeah. think we learned everything about Gelsomina that Fellini meant to, that he had created, mm-hmm. that he had imagined, yeah. you know, like, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. which I think speaks to your point about the sexism. Mm-hmm. I would say as far as this film goes and who it's for and who should watch it is that if you're really, really into cinema and you love, like, later Fellini stuff that you've seen, and you haven't seen this one yet, like, it's good to... I'm I'm kind of a completist. I love to see, like, especially someone that has, like, a ton of works, like someone like Fellini or a Godard or a Bergman, or I love to see the trajectory of their career and how their films change over time, and I would say that that is a prime reason to watch this film because you really get a sense for some of the early works and then kind of the transition from this to what I think are kind of the masterpieces later on. And with that, which film do you guys think uh, people should watch with, uh, with this one with La Strada? I did pick another Fellini movie. I picked a Fellini movie too. Uh-oh. Me too. That's saying something. Uh-oh. Okay. That's okay. saying something. Um, I wanted to do Julietta Messina, a solid by recommending a movie that I think is better than this and that she is incredible in and that another one where she uses her incredibly expressive face to, I think, an iconic end, and that is uh, Knights of Kiberia, mm-hmm. which is the film, I think, directly after this one in um, Fellini's character or uh, uh, timeline. I think, yeah. And then after Knights was uh, La Dolce Vita, and then we get into the territory of, of the masterpieces. Um, but yeah, Knights of Kiberia, Julieta Messina stars again, uh, actually, I mean, in much more of a way than in this film, uh, with an amazing character, I think. Uh, yeah. I, and I haven't seen that in a very long time and I do want to go back and revisit it now. Uh, my recommendation is the 1960 La Dolce Vita. Um, I think, uh, you know, you start seeing the consolidation of, like, what later Fellini will be, this kind of, like, episodic-type narratives. Um, It follows Marcello, who's a, I guess he's, like, a gossip columnist, but 
uh, and another life also aspires to kind of be like this like literary writer. Um, and so, you know, he's kind of uh, thinking about these two paths that his life and career could have taken. And I think one, one of the things that I really like about Fellini, especially like later Fellini, Fellini is that he's really, he's thinking about art and like what it means to be an artist. And I think you get a little bit of those questions in La Strada, right, with Jocelyn and like how much she like, finds joy and fulfillment and like clowning and she like tells people like this is what I want to do like this is like so immediately decides that this is like her life path and like feels that it's like right for her um and I think that Fellini uh you know I also I think why so many people love him is because he loves talking about Hollywood and celebrity Mm -hmm. and fame and movies and storytelling um and kind of like what are their place in our society and and you know, how do individuals move within these rarefied spaces? So I would say watch La Dolce Vita for a less bleak Fellini option. And I would say that I think that that's really an important thing to drive home that we all still did pick a Fellini movie, even yeah. if, like, yeah. La Strada wasn't our favorite. Mm-hmm. Because, like, he really is a master filmmaker and, yeah. and really did make some beautiful films. So my choice is the 1973 Amacord. It's just an epic about growing up. It's loosely based on Fellini's life as a child or growing up in kind of fascist Italy um, in the 30s. And, and it's just kind of this sweeping tale that when I first saw it, it just kind of was hard to watch in a lot of ways because I didn't understand like playing with narrative in a way. Mm -hmm. And this film really is an epic, but in like this almost observational sense, like I feel like the film just moves through the story and, and it's a way of telling a, a story in a way that we're just not used to in, in this culture anymore. And if you get a chance to see it in a movie theater, I did get to see it. Like once we're back in theaters and film streams is doing a showing of Omicord, mm-hmm. you have to go see it in a theater because um, it's just so beautiful. Like the landscapes, the acting, the, the set pieces. And, you know, it's just this kind of sweeping epic of like life. Yeah. It's color Fellini. Fellini it, yeah. in color. It's yeah. very colorful too. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, so people understand that we're not bashing Fellini. <laughs> of course. But, like, Josh, like you said, like, his career is so long and he's yeah. so prolific mm-hmm. that there kind of is, like, a Fellini for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think the Fellini I picked, like, if you know me, you're like, yeah, those are your favorite Fellinis. Of course. <laughs> because of the things that they deal with. And yeah. um, I think there, yeah, I think there's a Fellini for everyone. For And especially, like, a lot of the ones that we picked, like... Well, especially like Omicord is so personal. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's semi autobiographical. Yeah. Yeah. It's like loosely based on his childhood, yeah. and it's and you feel it. You feel the nostalgia. Yeah, it's the nostalgia he touches on a little bit in La Strada. Mm-hmm. Like this in Omicord, it's like fully yeah. fledged. Like you, I never lived in 30s Italy, but yeah. I feel like I miss it somehow. <laughs> and that and that's the interesting turn of La Strada is like not only is he moving away from Italian neo realism to a kind of more artistic realism. I think at some point he says that like La Strada is like his like naked soul. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I almost like don't want people to watch it because it's like they'll know who I am. Uh oh. Um, and I think that uh-huh. he just kind of like takes that and starts like delving more into it and like consolidating it, which is like why he's such a 
influence on these really like autobiographical yeah. right. like filmmakers. Yeah. Well, and it's so obvious in like eight and a half, you know, mm-hmm. which is about a film director dealing with fame. Yeah. <laughs> La Strada is available on film streams at home. For KIOS, I'm Joshua LeBure. For film streams, I'm Patrick Kinney. And also for film streams, I'm Diana Martinez. <laughs>